All right, uh, I got the, the call to preach late last night, and I told Whitney that as long as I prepared more than Judah's soccer team did yesterday, I think we'll be okay. Um, stay woke, Blue Panthers. I'm watching you. So um, before we get going, I want to invite the Gassaway family up, and they're going to lead us in our scripture reading this morning, and I've got it here um, for the Gassaway. So we'll give them a second to get up here, and then we will let them read from Luke 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you, you have cannot be my disciples. Thank you all. You guys. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, when I was preparing the sermon this morning, I had a few options that, that I wanted to go with. And, and obviously the second one, based off the story that I'm about to tell, is why. I was going to do a sermon on Harlan Sanders, known as Colonel Sanders. Uh, but then after doing a deep dive, uh, I think the Greek word is yikes, um, and kind of all the things that that man was involved in, so I decided to go a different direction. And um, just a quick Google will make you really surprised at the Colonel. But anyway... Um, I heard like a brief story about him, and I was like, oh, this is really neat. And then I was like, oh, man. Um, so anyway, I decided to go in a different direction this morning, and, and I wanted to look at the book of Genesis chapter 22. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there, there, that's where we'll be this morning, Genesis 22, looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. But before we get into that, I want to talk about wrestling. Um, our family, specifically Judah, we had a kind of a, a brief deep dive into amateur wrestling, which is different than professional wrestling, um, amateur wrestling. And that was quickly ended after an injury that, that I received from one of his wrestling moves that he saw on the YouTube. And so uh, we, we've, we've briefly flirted with wrestling in the Kittinger household. But if, if you even know anything about kind of mainstream, you know, professional wrestling, you likely know a guy by the name of John Cena. And, and I, I think, we've got a fir the first picture here, Miles, if we don't have it, then I'll go old school and describe him. Okay, I don't have to. Okay, uh, so John Cena is a professional wrestler. Uh, he is an actor. He, he does a lot of uh, activism stuff. He, he's a really interesting guy if you kind of do one of those deep Googles of, of somebody. And what I found to be very interesting about this guy named John Cena is that he is very involved in the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And we've got that next picture here. Um, kind of goes from work, you know, business to casual kind of outfits here. Um, but... What I find interesting is most celebrities throughout their career do around 300 Make-A-Wish Foundation opportunities. Meaning they'll, they'll meet with, with children, they'll do an event or whatever, but like they do about 300. At this point in John Cena's career, he has already done 650 Make-A-Wish Foundation opportunities where he has met with kids. And we've got the next picture here. Uh, this professional wrestler, big guy here, having a tea party uh, with this Make-A-Wish Foundation girl. 
Uh, the next picture, I think, um, this one was the one that I really wanted to draw attention to because even when COVID hit, John Cena said, no, we, we still need to provide for these kids. Like, we still need to make them happy. We still need to bring joy in their lives. We still need to be doing things. So even when COVID hit, what John Cena did was he, he put on his, his wrestling outfit, brought the belt, and then he masked up, put gloves on, and still met with these kids. And as I, I looked at this guy's story, what I kept seeing that I found just beautiful and powerful is that he saw that there was a need and that he could provide for that need. He saw that there was a way that he could make a kid's day who this kid is going through cancer or whatever kind of situation they find themselves in. He saw himself as a way to make that individual's life a little bit better, and he went for it. He did that thing. He provided that need. And again, when you look at the comparison of, of most celebrities, they're doing about 300 throughout their career, John Cena was like, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going. I'm still going to do it. I'm going to keep providing for these kids in this area. And we hear stories like this, and we're, we're drawn into them because they're captivating. We live in a world with, there's a lot of darkness, and there's a lot of bad things, and there's a lot of sadness. And then when you hear stories like this, where individuals are going above and beyond to provide for people in their community, we're drawn into those. Like, we need stories like that. We need stories that remind us that we, that our needs can be met, that God will provide for us in situations where maybe we can't see how is this going to end or how are we going to get from point A to point B. Like, we at times need to be reminded that God will provide those things for us. And that's why I want to turn our attention this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. Now, this story is one that I have always enjoyed um, because it's, it's kind of one of those vacation Bible school stories. It, it's stories that we learn as children, and then we kind of just accept like, oh, that's, that's what it's supposed to be. We're never supposed to really examine it or break it down anymore. But it's a really complicated story. And at times, we need to be reminded that the Bible was not written to children. The Bible was written to adults with adult implications and adult meanings and understandings. Like, yes, we can you know, break them down for children, but these are adult stories. Uh, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, spoiler alert, it, it's about a man who is about to kill his son, to sacrifice his son. I mean, that, that doesn't, I don't know, I, maybe we never did that in Vacation Bible School. Actually, now I said it out loud, we should not do this story at Vacation Bible School. Um, maybe we should teach it, but not like, you know, hey, who wants the hat? But um, what the story really forces us as adults to ask is what what kind of God would command this of Abraham? I mean, that, that at its core is really what we're getting at in the story, is what kind of God would make Abraham do this act? And so the, the story begins sometime later. This is after the Treaty of Beersheba, which is in chapter 21. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Now, I've, I've purposely edited this just a little bit because I don't want to include the next passage. Because I want us to read it like we, maybe this is the first time that we've looked at the story before. Because in the first two verses, it kind of just feels like a fun father-son camping trip, right? Like God's like, hey, Abraham, got an idea. What if you and Isaac, you go camping, you go to this cool, uh, you go to the region of Moriah, you're going to camp, you're going to have fun, fish a little bit, who knows? But, but the story changes dramatically, right, in verse 3, when God says, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. 
Now, I mentioned a second ago that these are, these are adult stories with adult implications and meanings. And one of the fascinating things here, and this is why I want us to re-examine the story of Abraham and Isaac this morning, is if you were in that situation, if you were having this dialogue and conversation with God, what would be your response? If God, was saying, if God spoke to you, so it's like immediately terrified, but if God spoke to you and then said, what I want you to do is sacrifice your firstborn, and think of how like the drama of the story that's already developing too, where God doesn't just say like your your second kid that you kind of like you know whatever you're still trying to figure it out, but God says your first son whom you love. I love sweet baby Olive. That wasn't about her, but um, but God is saying like you your son whom you love. Like God is layering this to put Abraham in this situation of of internal conflict. But what does Abraham do? He doesn't second guess God at all. And this story forever has been told in this, this light that we should be, be in awe of Abraham's like love for God. And like, yes, I, I'm there with you. But that's how the story is often told of like, look how much Abraham loves God. He's willing to kill, to sacrifice his son whom he loves that God has already mentioned that Abraham loves in this way. And we see the story and we're like, wait a second, like that makes us feel uncomfortable. And that's where we come back to that question of like, what kind of God would command a faithful follower to kill his firstborn son? In verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took it with him, two of his, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he, had, when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So again, like, we're, we're conflicted in this story. Of like, where is God really leading Abraham? Like, are we still supposed to look at the story as like, look at the love that Abraham has for his creator? That even in this situation where Abraham, Abraham knows where God is leading, Abraham is, is he's smart. He knows where the story is going. Even though Abraham knows this, are we still supposed to look at the story and say that God is just testing Abraham to see, will you really sacrifice your son for me? Like, is that how much you love me, Abraham? And when we start applying those layers to the story, it gets darker, right? It's not like a fun story for children. It's a story that we have to really wrestle with and think, like, where is God going with this story? And more so, I'm conflicted of, like, why is Abraham going along with this? Like, instead of challenging God at any point in the story, what Abraham does is he's like, all right, get the donkey, get the wood, let's start chopping things. And what's even kind of crazier to me is that Abram, if this is going to be a sacrifice, is like, well, we might as well bring some witnesses along the way, servants, come on. Like, it, it gets weirder the more layers that we add to this story if this story is about God testing Abraham to say, do you love me, Abraham? Because up to this point, yeah, Abraham clearly loves God. If we're, we're loading the donkey, we're getting mentally prepared to sacrifice his son, and we're bringing these other people along, I guess, just for, you know, more witnesses to this. So was when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, verse 4, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. 
I'm pausing again to go back to this, this larger point theme that I'm trying to establish. That forever this story has been told that this is about Abraham's devotion to God. Even up to the point of sacrifice of Isaac that, that Abraham is in. This is how we know how much Abraham loves God. But this is where, in verse 4 and 5, this is where that, there's a conflict with that. Because I think 4 and 5 show us that Abraham never intended to sacrifice Isaac. Otherwise, he's straight up lying to his servants. But the way he tells the story, he's like, we are going to worship, and then we will come back. The, the plural pronoun there that we're seeing includes Isaac. So again, we're, we're told this whole story is about how much Abraham loves God to the point that he will sacrifice his son. But in verses 4 and 5, it, it doesn't look like Abraham thinks that he is going to sacrifice his son. It, it looks like Abraham believes that Isaac will return with them back to the, the servants after they worship God. So something is happening behind the scenes that we're not picking up because we are often so obsessed with this idea of like, look at how much Abraham loves God. That he's going to do this act. Even when right in front of us, Abraham is saying, like, I don't think that I'm going to sacrifice my son at the altar. So what's happening? Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, Yes, my son Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This is where like, we, we often kind of play with this text a little bit, but it also, like, you have to add that, that additional layer of sadness. Because as Abram, Abraham also, I, I, don't, I think Abram was smart, Abraham was smart. So was Isaac. Isaac is being very respectful to his father. But he's also questioning, like, hey, Dad, I'm doing the math on this thing. Like, we, we've got a lot of stuff lining up here for a sacrifice. And, I, and, and he's starting to question, like, what's going on here? And, and rightfully so. If you're ever in this situation and somebody's like, we're going to have a sacrifice and there's nothing to sacrifice, question that. Question that immediately. And that's what Isaac is doing here. Where he's like, hey, this isn't adding up. Like, God, I, like, Dad, I know that you love God. And I know that we are going to this place to sacrifice something, and you can almost hear it, hear like the emotion in Isaac's voice of like, oh my goodness, like, am I this? Like, he doesn't quite get it, but he's starting to get concerned. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now again, pausing, often people look at this as, as Abraham is looking at his son Isaac, and he's like, you are the sacrifice. Like, God has provided the sacrifice, and you are it, Isaac. Like, congratulations, you know. But I don't think that's what it is. I think that Abraham legitimately believes that there will be a sacrifice provided. It's, this isn't a story about how much Abraham loves God. This is a story about how much Abraham trusts God. Through the whole journey here, this is not about how much Abraham loves God to the point that he will sacrifice his son. 
It's that Abraham recognizing and realizing that even through all of this, that God will provide the sacrifice. Abraham does not believe that he is going to sacrifice his son Isaac. He's preparing along the way for a sacrifice, but he does not believe it. I don't believe in this text that at one point Abraham believes that Isaac will be the sacrifice. Rather, throughout this whole thing, because it gets weird if he does. Like, why would you tell the servants that we're all coming back after this when you know that, that you're not? He, he believes and he trusts in God that God will provide for him. And so Abram answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Again, this is where like, the drama of this story comes to the forefront. And that's the intent of the story as well. It is supposed to be a dramatic story. You're not supposed to read this story kind of like a robot where a man is about to sacrifice his son. Like it is supposed to be a dramatic story told to, to elicit these feelings of like what is happening? Why is this happening? Why is he about to do this thing? But in all of this, Abraham does not believe that he is going to have to sacrifice his son even to the point to where he's lifted this... Um, He's lifted this knife in the air to do the act because the very next thing is, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now think about that for a second. If Abraham legitimately believes that Isaac is the sacrifice, the calmness of him is insane, right? Like if you believe that you're going to go through with this act and Abraham is able to respond like, here I am, like that's crazy. Let's get this guy checked out. Let's, let's talk about it, you know? But Abraham does not believe it. Even to the point that he's doing this, Abram believes that God will provide. Even in the darkest moments, when Abraham cannot see the exit plan, when he cannot figure out, God, how are we going to get out of this? God, we're getting really close to this point of no return. Abraham still believes that God will provide. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from, your, from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there, looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over it. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, over on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So there's a, a few things that we, we quickly take away from this story, right? It's one, it is dramatic. It is, it is kind of like a lifetime movie. Like there's so much drama just drenched in the book of Genesis chapter 22, where there's just this conflict between a man and his son and his creator God. But the larger theme of this story is that Abraham believes that God will provide. I don't know if, you, if you're like me, where recently you look around and you're like, God, how are we going to get from point A to point B? God, how, God, we want growth in our community. 
God, God we, want, we want energy, we want excitement. God, what are the things that you're going to do? How are you going to provide those things for us? And at times, I have to be reminded, like, I have to trust that God will get us from point A to point B, that God will provide the things that we need, the opportunities we need, the people that we need, maybe the, the ideas that we need to create that excitement, to, to allow that growth to occur. But often what happens is we sometimes get in the way and we're like, God, I got this. I'm going to take control. But if we look at Genesis chapter 22, it's, it's all about, do you trust that God will provide? And so what I'm encouraging us to think about a little bit this morning is maybe that we need to get out of our own way sometimes and let God work. And that we have to trust that God will provide the things that we want and the things that we need. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. And, and the, the first time that I ever spoke to students at Chanel, I looked at Matthew chapter 6. And, and one of my favorite kids, I'll just say it out loud, uh, Lydia Cash told me that that was the worst example that I've ever given. Because I tried to equate this to a modern celebrity, and she was like, doesn't work at all. And I was like, fair point. And I listened, and I'm not going to because of that student. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about the same thing about trusting God. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? A little too close to home. But is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is reminding his audience that God will provide for you. But you have to trust in God. You have to believe that God will provide those things for you. And full circle, that's what the story of Abraham and Isaac is about. It's not about how much do you love God which we, we, we would not disagree that Abraham loved God. The story is showing us that Abram trusted that even in the darkest moment that God would provide, even when he couldn't see the end of the tunnel that God would provide, even when he couldn't figure out how are we going to get from point A to point B that God would provide, even when we look around and say, okay, how do we grow? How do we create excitement that God will provide those things? And we have to put our trust and our faith in God. And when we do those things, when we trust that God will provide, we have to be willing to participate. We can't just look idly by and say, okay, this is good, God, let's make it happen. No, God is inviting us over and over again in our lives to be active participants in kingdom building. So if if we want to grow, help us grow. If you want to create events and activities that, that draw excitement, bring those ideas to us. If you've got ideas of maybe a community that we can serve, uh, somebody that in your life you're like, hey, I think that this is an area that this church could help with, bring it to us. Let's do it. Because it's time. It's time for us to look at God and say, God, we know that you can provide. Tell us what to do. God, we know that you will provide for us what we need. We're willing to participate.